Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. Our goal is to reframe, simplify, and focus on our mission to make disciples in a post-Christian culture. We discuss reaching new people and raising up leaders while removing the barriers of churchianity. I'm Eric Bryant, one of the executive pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, author of Not Like Me, and resource provider at ericbryant.org. Well, I'm excited today to have with me a good friend, a co-worker, colleague, uh, John Ng. Great to have you on the Post-Christian Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. Well, this has been an amazing season. You were a part of our team here at Gateway in South Austin. You really helped introduce a lot of what we do in terms of reconciliation and justice. And now you've just planted a campus right in the middle of a pandemic. Talk, talk if you don't mind, as you're planning a campus as part of Gateway in Pflugerville, a very diverse part of our town, our, our metropolitan area. What have been some of the challenges of planting in this season? What have been some of the maybe advantages? Yeah, well, I think my head usually goes more to the disadvantages because I've felt them kind of pretty upfront and personal over the past several months and, and stretching into, I guess you could call it the past two years almost. I mean, prior to the pandemic, we already had a couple of pauses internally due to some things happening at Gateway, but the pandemic itself was difficult because we hit a stride and we were getting ready to start up with launch on Easter of 2020. And then three weeks before then, the pandemic hit, we had to basically shutter all of our plans, uh, stuff that we had been building up to for several months. And that was rough, you know, like needing to almost hit pause a second time over. So we definitely felt like we lost momentum and there was just a change in the dynamic and the energy of our team. But at the same time, like leading through the pandemic was something that wasn't necessarily just particular to our team or our church. We all had to learn how to do it, you know. So I'd say learning how to exercise kind of this leadership where you have to lead, you have to lead through change. You have to adapt and uh, change to some of the circumstances that you really don't have any control over. Uh, so that was a good learning for us, I think, for me. Well, and part of what's been really fun in teaming with you over these last several years is you have just a very um, entrepreneurial spirit. You've always been great at starting new things. And so when you first came on to Gateway after years of you know serving with, um, with InterVarsity and all that you did there, what, what about kind of your walk with God and even your personality has led you to be more willing to start new things. A lot of churches seem to be trying to keep things alive, but you've always, at least in my experience with you, been very much wanting to start new things, kind of follow where the spirit is leading, which I think is important in the midst of trying to reach people who are disconnected from God. Yeah. um, I don't know. I think part of it might just be my foundations, watching my dad um, kind of tap into his his own entrepreneurial spirit. So like growing up, I saw my dad doing all sorts of things, right? Like he ran a Chinese grocery store when we were really, really young. And I used to work the cash registers. And I remember bumped my head really bad on the tabletop one time and had a huge gashing wound. Um, 
So, I mean, from the very beginning, I think I saw it modeled, right? Like not only did my dad do the grocery store thing, but prior to having me and my brother, I have a twin brother. His name is Tim. Uh, he and my mom basically went out to Austria. So they were double immigrants, right? They immigrated uh, to America and then decided to go over to Austria. And they started up a Chinese restaurant there. The short version of it is my uncle, who still lives out there, basically just called up my dad and said, we don't have enough Chinese restaurants. Will you start one up? And they decided it was a good idea. So they just took German from a couple of neighbors uh, two months and then packed their bags and made their way over to Europe and started up a restaurant. So um, it, it's definitely a part of, I think, our family story. And seeing how my dad did it just probably ingrained a, a certain kind of like innovative spirit within myself, if, if you get my drift. And I think as far as where it impacts and kind of intersects with my faith is just seeing that, you know, when we look at the person of Jesus, here was someone who actually was always innovating, right? Always trying to cross new territories, new boundaries. Um, I love that he crossed cultures too. Sometimes we actually forget that. Um, yes, he was a Jewish teacher and um, a rabbi uh, and, and someone that so many followed within the Jewish tradition, but he actually reached Romans. You know, he reached uh, the Samaritan woman and uh, so many others that were just outside of his immediate context. And I love that about the heart of God, you know, that God is always looking, not just within, you know, like we sing this song sometimes, like he'll leave the 99 to find the one, but, you know, outside of it being kind of a pithy catchphrase or, you know, a, a fun lyric, I think it's just really true. And oftentimes when it comes to the church, even if you're a startup church, what I've realized is our bent is actually to become more systematized and structured pretty quickly, right? And so we lose that spirit of innovation within, I would even argue, probably the first six months or so, because we're so focused and trying to think about like, how do we get a program running? How do we make sure that all of the systems that are needed, right? And, and they're valuable and beautiful in their own right. But because we're so focused on that, sometimes we forget God's actually already on the move outside of the walls of the church. And every time I remember that, I just remind myself, well, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to just be within the walls of the church. Um, but just to recognize there's also some really cool, innovative, spiritual things that are happening both within and without the, the structure of the church. Yeah. Well, and for you being in the parachurch world where there's a little bit more uh, agility for you to jump into Gateway, this was, you know, several years ago now, but in a predominantly white city, predominantly, you know, white church, but with a real heart to reach all the nations in our city. One of the things that you first did when you got here was introduce this idea. And Tasha Morrison was on staff at the time with us. She has a Be the Bridge nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. But you you were really intentional about making sure that those that we were reaching who were people of color felt welcomed and kept coming. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the beginnings of the Reconciliation and Justice Network and some of the things that you've done and your leaders have done that have helped 
bridge that gap, not just to connect believers who are may look differently, but but actually reaching people too. This has been a real important part of who we've become. Talk about that for a moment, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I mean, in some ways, it, it goes back to your earlier question too around my time with InterVarsity and the parachurch kind of ministry or, or arm, so to speak. One of the things that um, one of our supervisors used to say back in InterVarsity, his name is Jason Thomas. He he loved to actually talk about the parachurch as this research arm for the church overall, like not to see the church and the parachurch as being separate entities, but they're actually in relationship with one another. And I do think that's one of the strengths of the parachurch overall nonprofit world, because you, you don't necessarily have the same kind of context as you might have at the church. Right. So the beautiful thing about the church is it is very multi-generational and there's, uh, multiple demographics that you're trying to minister to. Whereas when it comes to the parachurch, at least for InterVarsity, it's very focused. We're talking about college students. Um, we focus on faith and leadership development. And in some ways, we don't necessarily have to answer to people who show up at the church every single day, right? Or every single week. So there's a little bit more of almost a, a research instinct where we can test things out. It might take a church two or three years to test something out, but for a parachurch, you can do it within a month or call it a semester. And then if it doesn't work, great. Let's just go back to the drawing board. Uh, with the church, it, it costs a lot more, right? Like if you do something, it doesn't work. It affects all of your ministry, uh, your kids, your elderly, and your young parents and your families. So, I mean... I think what I realized through InterVarsity was, man, there's there's really this thing that I love doing, which is just testing new things out, seeing what works, and learning how to best serve those who are at the margins. You, you mentioned a little bit our people of color, especially in a predominantly white evangelical context. Oftentimes, I, I think like we talk about multi-ethnic church. But really, the multi-ethnic church or the multicultural church oftentimes has looked more white than anything else. And those who are people of color are kind of just dressing on the side, if you get my, what I'm saying. You know, like, it's cool that we have multicolored attendance, but it's, it's not as if we've actually learned how to embrace each other and to welcome each other's cultures and, and the gifts that we have from one another. Um, and, and sometimes I think our missional perspective even from the white church overall can be more from a place of like we want to reach and I get that you know like we want to reach other people but what about the question of like what could we learn from other people what might they have that perhaps is missing in our context and that just feels a lot more mutual and we talk about thriving all the time within our church you know like I think about, well, that actually feels like thriving if we're learning from one another. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do at Gateway as I jumped in is just to really help our church to, to learn well, what are some of the other stories and narratives that are out there that might not necessarily be as mainstream for our context and just learn how to listen to each other, right? It begins with relationship and, and friendship with one another and so often, I think we just miss on on the blessing of what those friendships can bring, 
sure they they come with their own territory of oh like that was an awkward question to ask or you know you kind of just stepped on my toes but man there's a lot of beauty that i think we can encounter too if we're willing to go there and to develop those patterns of trust so I know I'm talking a little bit high level, but what do you hear there? And feel free to, you know, dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really true that part of what you really brought to our community and Tasha as well, certainly by hiring you guys and and adding you to the staff team specifically to help us do a better job of, of thinking about the entire city and not just even if it's unintentionally reaching out and connecting with those who look like us, you know, think like us, vote like us. But, but there were some real practical things that, that you did. I I remember, you know, beyond colorblind was a a class, a workshop. It's a book uh, that you had folks read through, but then use it as a springboard into getting to know each other. Uh, we did our multicultural dinners, multi-ethnic dinners, and people celebrated. You know, this is this is kind of everybody bringing something grandma used to make yeah, yeah. and sharing those meals. There was a real celebration of our uniqueness and what we all what we all bring to the table. Uh, talk about some of those ideas because I know those weren't just your ideas, but the team that you brought together of volunteers. How did you kind of cast vision of what we're trying to accomplish and? And what were some of the things that came out of that? Yeah. Well, I think when we talk about diversity overall, it it's one of those things. I mean, diversity, race, racism, and, and all the beauty and the chaos that comes with it. I think oftentimes people just kind of like when they hear those terms, at least for some of our people, they either get really charged up and they're like, yeah, let's talk about it. Or they want to stiff arm and do the Heisman and like, no, I don't want to talk about that. That's too uncomfortable. And so when it comes to things like the potlucks, I, I think in a very tangible, real way, as I was talking with leaders and, you know, discussing different options, what we discovered was, well, let's bring people together around food, around the shared table where, you know, like, I don't know a single person who would say, I don't want to eat food and just like enjoy other people's like cuisines. So it it felt like that was it almost like it was the low hanging fruit that our church already had. People already know some of their dishes. And I think what I also realized through that journey of like specifically doing some of those multicultural potlucks is we get to live into something that actually produces more curiosity and learning for each person who's involved, because as you share food, yes, you, you can just keep it at that level. And it's very surface level. Oh, I, I love your tortillas, <laughs> you know, like, oh, that those pot stickers were really good. But then we started becoming more intentional about let's have some conversations too while we're having our dinner and our shared meal. Let's actually listen, for, listen to other people. Let's listen to our African-American population, for example, especially as you know, we've seen over the past five years plus, you know, at least our our media has been paying attention to a lot more of what our our Black brothers and sisters have faced for entire generations, you know, and there's been a racial reckoning that we've all had to encounter through this pandemic as well. And I think it taught us how to listen to each other and to hold space for our stories, because like, as we're enjoying each other's foods, it wasn't becoming 
this commoditized almost experience where I just get to enjoy the good parts and I don't have to hear the hard parts of your experience or, or your life, you know, but we kind of did both and, and I think in the midst of that for our white community, what was really cool was the realization that, oh, we have some work to do to understand what our culture is. Because sometimes I think for some of our white brothers and sisters, it's this idea that I don't have any culture at all, right? There's almost sometimes this jealousy. I don't know if you've encountered this with some of our people, uh, but sometimes it shows up with like, I'm jealous of you, person of color, whoever you might be, because you have this culture that I love, but I don't have any culture. And I, I actually, these days I'll say, well, tell me why you say that, because you do have culture, right? You, you have things like Southern hospitality and um, cream corn and the barbecues and everything. It's just that we don't identify those things and we don't learn how to cultivate a kind of self-love for who God has created each and every one of us to be. And I think in those gaps, unfortunately, you see... Um, evil kind of like majoring on, well, how do I take that perceived gap and fill it with something else? It's what happened with Nazi Germany, right? Like the Nazi youth back in the day didn't have a sense of identity. And so they decided to jump in with this entire, you know, like scheme that Hitler had. And I think I, I don't know, like, it's tough to compare present day to history you know, but I do see like there's there's pockets of our communities right now where because there's a gap of understanding around who I'm created and and God to be when it comes to ethnicity and culture, I, I think evil is already preying on that and filling it filling it in with this kind of like Christian nationalism that is not God's heart at all. But it sounds good because well, I I've never had culture, and so this makes me feel important. This makes me feel like I have a story now. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for our churches to step in and say, well, here's the heart of God. Let's actually learn together and let's mine our own lives for the foundations that God has already given us. Yeah, no, that's really important. And it was very stark, you know, during this pandemic with the tragedy of Amon Arbery um, and then Breonna Taylor and then, you know, George Floyd, you did really see this kind of not just the media, but people paying attention in a way that you hadn't seen before. And there are a lot of folks saying, well, what do we do? And that's where I feel like you had built for us, you know, along with your volunteers and the people that have been part of these, this network and certainly other leaders that have been part of our church, just this framework where we were already having these conversations and it helped us move them deeper. And one of the things that you introduced along with Tasha was just this idea of lament and trying to make that a part of an ongoing part of our worship night, just to acknowledge that things are not the way that they should be. And what, what's, what's happening is, I think, and the reason this is so important is people without faith see what's on the news about Christianity and they see Christian nationalism and it actually repels them yeah. from Jesus when in reality, it's the message of Jesus that actually unites humanity and actually is uh, a beautiful expression of God's love for all people from all backgrounds. And so that's why this conversation is so important. And I love, you know, you've started uh, uh, a nonprofit with 
uh, Lisa Jacob and Shedrick Rowry called Just Packs Collective. That's J-U-S-T-P-A-X collective.com. And also on Instagram, Just Packs Collective. Talk about how you've been able to help churches who want to do something. They want to reach and disciple and look like their city, not just in yeah. attendance, but from top to bottom. What are some of the things you've introduced that have helped these churches move forward? Yeah. Um I mean, some of it, we've already talked about it in bits and pieces, but what we really try to do through our, our work at Just Packs Collective and, you know, we're a consulting firm. And so we, we really do frame it as let us help those who are looking for it to become, you know, what I like to call redeemed peacemakers and, you know, those who have actually like said, yes, we're going to pursue justice together. And I think Oftentimes this work is a bit circular in that you can jump in wherever you want, right? And every context, every organization, every person has a particular starting point. So you might start with a a level of, well, I, I already have awareness around the fact that there is racial injustice, but I don't know how to take action yet, or I don't know how to become an advocate. Um, reason why I say it's circular is because awareness activism or action and advocacy all kind of work in tandem in this circular fashion, I'm always going to be learning and you're always going to be learning. So our awareness is never going to be fully arrived, right? So I might engage in some awareness work and I'm taking responsibility for my own learning, let's say, and discovering, let's say, uh, what happened with the the Tulsa massacre, right? Um, What was that about? Or, hey, I've never heard about Japanese internment here in the United States. We actually had internment camps. That's disturbing. Well, what was that about, right? And and as you raise your level of awareness and you begin to understand yourself as someone who is located and in relationship with different, different systems and individuals, then you might be able to take some action, right? Like maybe I will vote differently because now I have some awareness around these are some of the policies that have actually really harmed our black brothers and sisters or our people of color. Um, I I might advocate for for change within my church or within my community, but then it, it just keeps on going back into that same cycle because there's more to learn and there's more action to take. And I think as we do those things, we become people who expand our capacity and our bandwidth to go after God's heart. And I always go back to Revelation 7, 9, and 10, right? I want to be a picture and a preview of God's coming kingdom. I don't want to just wait until heaven comes in all of his fullness. I want to be a part of unleashing that right now in the here and in the now in the present. So, oh yeah, what we tend to do is really just kind of assess where people are at, where organizations are at, and kind of take them from, you know, whatever starting point, whether it's zero or three, and and move them to the next faithful step. So it's been a lot of work, and it's exciting work. It's it's stuff that I think we love, but we also understand that it comes with a certain level of cost to ourselves. But because it's such a part of God's heart, I think we're really committed to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, You've made a real impact in our church in the 11 years I've been here. I think you've been here four, maybe five years. Uh, Going on five, yeah. yeah, Coming up on five. I just know that, you know, we we now have 
uh, board of directors from different backgrounds in a way we hadn't before. We're, we're seeing a staff that's becoming more and more reflective of our church family. And, and as we continue to move forward, you know, your campus in a very diverse part of town, you know, is just another opportunity for us to be more like uh, Revelation chapter seven, you know, verses yeah. nine and 10. Thank you so much, John, for what you're doing. Uh, I love, uh, you know, obviously teaming with you, love you and your family, and just grateful for the ways you're helping us move forward. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's been a joy, privilege. It's definitely been an honor just to be with you too and grow and really grateful for your leadership too. I think um, one thing that you'll probably never say, but I want to just say it for uh, whoever's listening out there. Eric is just an awesome leader, you know, and he's one of those guys that does recognize, I think, where where he's located socially, culturally, ethnically. Um, but out of that, I, I've really seen you exercise your presence, your leadership on behalf of others, really empowering and uplifting other voices. Um, and I think it shows, you know, over at South Campus, you've got a great crew and an amazing community. So thanks for serving and really being a part of God's heart here. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.